kind of getting back to the original question too, and what do you do with the darkness? The fear of losing your mind is part of that. And I've absolutely had multiple moments where I'm like, I might lose my mind. I might lose my mind. Experiencing those things, you know, it isn't as scary as it used to be because I know what it is. I know that does not mean I'm losing my mind. It's just how I respond. It's how my brain responds. And I know that it is partly coming from the wiring of my brain. It's entirely that. That's the only thing I can be. That's the physical reason why it happens. Um, but the meaning in that, it doesn't have inherent meaning. It's a, it's a biological response, is how I see it. But that doesn't take the magic out of it, and it doesn't take the interpretive value out of it. And it, you know, kind of back to our conversation about God or spirit or soul or whatever, it doesn't take that element out of it for me either. Because, it, again, I don't know if there's a corporeal God. Maybe the soul and the spirit is just part of the of biology. Um, maybe it is my physical wiring that makes me feel a little more that way than like purely atheist and logical and just like, you know. Um, which I completely respect and get a lot of value of too, actually. So in that respect, those moments now, I have that kind of awareness that this is bad now and it sucks now or this is a little scary or a little off-putting. I just need to sit with it. I need to decide what this means. And I need to decide that over time and to not be so quick to see things as good or bad or as bad, specifically in my case, and instead allow it to play out in a, in a protective way and kind of go from there and, and allow the story to kind of blend from there. Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm sad Sometimes we're everything just trying to escape the motherfucking man Doesn't make you bad, makes you a human A physical manifestation with just a lot of work to be So sit with it, love it, embrace it, find your way Death will come totally okay Cause stories don't really end, just change through time In a beautiful cosmic race, never fully captured Sometimes partially bottled up and put on display <laughs> And not with the melancholy. <laughs> What's up, digital friend? Welcome to episode number 114 with my friend, Brittany Gaby, also known as the artist Gabo. And that's how I met her. Essentially, we met at this rad event my friend Urban Pop was putting on. And I saw her art and I was like, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> and so it really was. It was a great time having her on. And we shared similar backgrounds in faith, which was extremely interesting because we also branched from it. And we talk about how they're now all tools for us. And then we get into archetypes and how we can all use this quote unquote, maybe mythology to help us better understand our life and understand the darkness and, and the light. And how do we traverse this suffering that we're sometimes in by using these tools? In the end, we just had an incredible conversation and we went deep and it was just so much fun. And I was truly inspired and felt like I took home things that I'll use forever. So without further ado, friend, let's get it.
I think a fun place to start would be something bubbly, like bubbly, like death. Yes, yeah, <laughs> we can start with death. Let's start at the end. Yeah, there I th- you go. I, I, that's actually a good way to play. Let's start at the end. You know, one one because I think that like it's undeniable when you look at some of the stuff that you've put out, there's mm-hmm. like definitely this, like that vibe yeah. is like the underlying current of like mm-hmm. the, and I would love to hear it is that kind of a way of you expressing that existential angst that we all feel that universal, like what the fuck, you know, and, and everything I love and know is going to vanish one mm-hmm. day, including me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that anytime you talk about death, that existential angst or that specific kind of angst that you're talking about, which is like the angst of cessation, like that's going to be present in any conversation about death because it is a very, you know, permanent and sudden change, you know, when it's there, it's done. Do you think it's present in every conversation? Like Like not even just about death like that. In other words, that, that angst almost motivates almost every decision that we have as like an underlining subconsciousness, like type thing. I think it is on the surface for all people just as living things is, you know, so let me rephrase that. It's like, you know, we have consciousness of the fact that we can die. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the case for other animals or not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so we can only sure. think of that as a, a something specific to humans. And in that way, then I think, yeah, it does permeate every kind of conscious or waking moment because, you know, you could die at any moment. Um, however, I think that, you know, there are definitely situations where, you know, it's, it's probably like when you're driving down the highway and you're driving like a jerk and taking mm. your life very casually to speed mm. past people, obviously you're not thinking like I could die. That's very, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, yes, to or a degree. Or could it be this like, fuck the world, I'm right, going to die. Right. So it's like, <laughs> it's I, like think that, I think that, it's yeah, insanity. like there's definitely aspects in which like death is always there on the brain at all times. Yeah. But I also feel like, you know, it, it's, I'm not saying that as in, it's like a conscious thought yeah, where it's like, 100%. I should be careful because I don't want to die. Or yeah. I'm going to do this deliberate thing to die right now. For sure. Everyone exists in the middle of that at all times. I so agree. yeah. So it, it's definitely more of an unconscious thing, I think. Um, but it's something that I've always thought about um, my entire life. Um, it really became a reality to me when I was six. Really? Yeah. My grandmother died of uh, lung cancer and she was really, really, really important to me. Like Mm -hmm. she lived down the street. Um, she was an artist and she was like fostering this like love of drawing in me and animals. So basically it's like, she gave me drawing pads um, a book about Jane Goodall that I was way too young for. <laughs> a subscription to National Geographic. Hell yeah. And, you know, just like... That constant. was badass back then. Oh, yeah. You know, no, it was amazing. Dude, I always wanted one of those. My parents were like, was uh, sorry. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I was exposed to all of that at a super early age because That's of cool. her. It's like some of my earliest memories are like drawing with my grandmother and talking about uh, hyenas in Africa. Fuck you know yeah. what I mean? And then trying to draw the hyenas or draw the baboons yeah. and stuff. She was a really, really wonderful and wild woman. Um, but she passed away really early and I had this moment of realizing what that meant Mm. is that there's her body. It's not living. That's going to happen to all of us. (laughs) Cause those were questions I was asking as a six year old. Like, so is this what death is? Like, this is what happens Uh, and like really feeling grief for the first time. I'm so worried to watch my son go through that. No, 
I'm not trying to make you. No, 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 no. I know, no. Yeah, yeah, I've thought about it a thousand times. It's just like I'm just getting that picture. Like, man, I'm gonna see his face. That you know, well, everyone has that. Yeah, you will. Yeah, and it's important too because that's a really important lesson to learn. And in some ways, I feel lucky in having learned that lesson as young as I did. Because was you know, there like the as above so below so like the goodness of being aware but also that as being a burden as a, at a oh, young absolutely. age as well because then after that happened I distinctly remember like you know trying to just lay really still to see if I could see what it was like to be dead wow. and like as a little kid essentially like playing dead like in the backseat of my mom's car where I'm like don't talk to me mom I'm dead wow. <laughs> um, it really freaked my parents yeah, out for a while sure. um. But Holy yeah, Christ. so I've thought about death for a long time um, in a really specific kind of way. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't know, it's just a natural um, sort of draw that I have to things that are mysterious mm-hmm. and that I don't understand, or even things that are dark. Um, I guess I was just kind of born with, <laughs> I don't yeah. know how to describe it, more of like an asshole nature or like a contrarian nature where yeah. it's like, okay, so this is, you know, good and happy and this is what everyone is saying is like, you know, I should do, but I, I kind of don't feel like this is everything and this can't be all the things, Yeah, you know? So it's like Sunday school is always difficult for me in that way too. That's what, that's what I was just about to bring up. I was like, cause I know a little bit off the podcast we talked yeah. about like kind of your, you know, your faith background and where you were came from. And that's what now knowing that, that yeah. at six years old, right. you're dealing with like this crazy existential, like uh, awakening essentially yeah. that doesn't happen to most people until they're like 50 or 60 where they're like, Oh my gosh, what did I live life for? You know? And they're like, I'm going to die. Well, I don't know if it was yeah. that significant, but, but yeah, it was more just still, in that, like, yeah, I lost, like, that kind of innocence. The awareness, though. Right, and having lost a very close grandparent so early, yeah. you know, that basically meant I had to learn that lesson that early, where I was old enough to be completely conscious of it, but so young still that yeah. it kind of formed a lot of just kind of my brain and, like, the mm-hmm. way I think about things and the things I'm going to be aware of, Yeah, um, you know, all of the time. How I, did that switch into, like, you know, you grew up, like Christian, right? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. like, and I know you talked about you, then you flowed into Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Like, was that awareness of death or just that exploration of like, why am I here? Like, because of that, uh, that awareness of death, is that what kind of propelled you towards that specific direction of, of the side of the coin religion, you know? Sure. Um, maybe in part, you know, because I, I grew up evangelical, you know, in the Southern Baptist church and non-denominational churches where death was an important part of the life cycle, important mm-hmm. transition from, you know, our from conscious glory life. To glory. Right, exactly. <laughs> right? In mm-hmm. so many ways for different people that looks like different things in those churches. Yeah. But um, you know, the understanding of death though is it, it was very um binary. You went to heaven or you went to hell. Yeah. And there was no interpretation of the in-between. Mm-hmm. And um that always scared me really badly. Yeah. because I'm I'm already a very anxious person and I'm hyper concerned with hurting other people or like treating other people the way I would want to be treated because just I grew up with that plus neuroses. So yeah. it's like, okay, I'm going to constantly examine everything I do and think that it was the wrong thing, <laughs> yeah, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. I know Southern Baptist guilt isn't something we talk about and it's really not even a thing. So I think that's more just like yeah. the way I, I just am. Yeah. Um, So in kind of learning about Buddhism and studying Buddhism, 
um, that was good for me in that way to be less afraid of what happens after death. Yeah. Because even though, you know, as someone in their early 20s, it's not like I was holding on to that concept of heaven and hell. And I actually had explored some ideas of like, what if hell doesn't even exist? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What if there is no eternal punishment or vice versa? What if there is no eternal reward? It's like, these are things I all thought about in great deal beforehand. But to see some of those thoughts expressed in another corporate, you know, spiritual system, um, was really, really interesting and eye-opening to me. And then, you know, because Catholicism was something I really didn't know as much about at the time either, because that's also informed some sense of afterlife that I have and that, you know, I practice like different forms of Catholicism after Buddhism yeah. and this crazy, like Brittany tries all the religions. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's um, healthy as hell. Well, I, well, thank you. I think some other people would probably disagree. Yeah. I don't know that I agree because I'm like, wow, you made yourself into like a spiritual dilettante. Good job. <laughs> um, well, that's, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say, well, where, where are you at now that you have had all these experiences of like Christianity and Buddhism and occultism and, mm-hmm. and all these other things, you know, Catholicism or whatever, you know, that, that you tapped into for whatever time, yeah. like how do you, how does Brittany view the world essentially? Like as far as back to death and afterlife yeah. and, and this reality and maybe if there is any purpose or if we just create it kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, kind of just where I'm at now is, you know, it, you can't deny any kind of experience that you've authentically have had, right? So I've had significant spiritual, not necessarily like deity-related experiences, but spiritual experiences, um, you know, alongside many different, you know, um, people. uh, Let me rephrase that. Sorry, I messed that up really badly. No, you're totally (laughs) fine. (laughs) I know. It's like, let's let's rewind. Try to say five thoughts with one thought at a time instead of five at a time. I know I'm going to slow down on that. No, hell not. Oh my God. (laughs) Go, go, (laughs) Just like slur everything like, God. Gerd. Gerd. What is Gerd? Art. (laughs) Love. Communion. God. Oh my God. There is no God. There is only one. There is only <laughs> there was only one wine. It's like, hail Satan, drink the communion. Here we go. Oh my God. Let's just hit everything at once. Yeah. Um, so kind of where I'm at now, you know, is that I've had all these different experiences that I would consider like authentically spiritual, yeah. whether they're related to God or an interpretation of God or not, or even when it was just a purely human experience without really even the need of, of God or an external force making it important you know, very humanist kind of spiritual experience is possible too. Um, in that I can't say that I am necessarily like of any one like religion that I have practiced culturally. I'm Christian with my family. I'm Christian. That's how I was raised, um, from a very early age. It's something that I was raised with, with, I would say comparatively minimal toxicity compared to other people I know. I was yeah. thankfully spared from That's awesome. a lot of crap and I was allowed to have my own interpretations and thought around things. My family struggled with how we identify spiritually. Um, and it's something we talked about as a family and we, we talked about ideas and not just feelings. That's great. So I think that that has informed, you know, my ability to, or not my ability to, but my experience of then exploring Buddhism and, and coming away with like, what, what value does this have for me? How do I give value back to other people with this system as opposed to the one I was brought up with? Yeah. Or even looking at occultism and, you know, more mystic practices, whether it's American occultism or even thinking about like, for me, it would be more English Isles 
um, or Northern European paganism, paganism to a degree. Um, you know, what, what, what does that do in a practical standpoint, yeah. but also what does it do for the spirit, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, it, you are able to have what I think people would describe as, as a spiritual experience in really any situation. It's, it's there. Yeah. It's a matter of how you interpret it. Yeah. It's perception, Um, awareness. Yeah. Right. And I'm not even saying that that's necessarily God, like God is there at all times. It's not even that. It's that your, your brain is there at all times and your ability to reinterpret a situation to have an entirely different or disruptive meaning is there at all times. Yes. So in that sense, you know, it's when you think about it like that, it almost becomes like, well, all of, what you've experienced up to that point, you know, oh, what am I trying to say here? <laughs> I'm uh, sorry. No, no, but yeah, no, let me no, backtrack no, no, a little no, yeah, bit yeah, yeah. In, that, in that, you know, in just knowing that that is more true yeah. than any one religion I have experienced, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I'm seated right now. Yeah. It's like, you know, in just like authentic experiences with what I've been raised with and yes. what I know up to this point. Um, and then also just knowing that like, you know, your interpretations of like everything you come up to is going to be informed by what you were raised with and by like where you come from. Yeah. So for experience, ex, uh, for example, even my experience with say Buddhism or even, you know, like, um, dabbling with ideas within witchcraft or, or magic, um, or even paganism and looking at more folkloric religions is that, you know, there's always going to be informed by that Trinitarian Christianity that I was raised with. Yeah, exactly. So in that way, it's like, well, I'm always going to be Christian like that, even if I'm not like a, you know, oh, a believer, you know, in the evangelical sense, I can't be taken out of that. Yeah. Um, However, these other spiritual practices, you know, are equally valid and authentic, even though they are new. Yeah. Because it spoke to a point in which I needed them and used them. Um, but I think inherent to this approach that I have is the ability to abandon things too and to yeah. be able to move on. From so right now I'm just kind of floating. I'm that's, just, that's beautiful. Yeah, I'm just I like, I'm too. rooted in what I was raised in. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, I, I don't know if God is corporeal or not. I don't know if there's a deific or like a deity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, I know what I see in people and I know what I've experienced. I also know what I see in nature. Yes, man, um, that's a good one. Not Nature's. to come off as like a total hippie, but, yeah, you know, nature sure. is outside of humanity, like the only other form of any kind of creation or creative thing that we know. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want to say like nature is God, but yeah. in a very practical way it is. I feel as we're experiencing too, sure. with the hundred degree days and stuff. Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> we're being punished. He's mad at us. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what you would call me. I don't know if I'm religious. I don't know if I'm pantheistic would probably be the closest thing in that yeah. like God is in all things. But then again, it's like, what is God if God's unknowable? So yeah. That's my rambling answer. I think that's question. beautiful. I mean, and I love, I know we talked a little bit about this on the yeah. podcast too as well. Is like, I mean, I think I love the concept that the moment you try to use something as arbitrary as sound vibrations from your mouth, you know, called language to describe something as big as God, like mm-hmm. you've already failed essentially. Like I right. think it, it is that unknowing, you know, and um, it, it doesn't seem like it could just be bottled up into a white man in a clouds pulling right. levers, but right. maybe, you know, and yeah. uh, possibly, and uh, you know, and it's like, who knows, but I'm, I'm with you there. Like I, I, I spent so much time in Christianity. There's no way I won't be able to view life right. through that lens. Exactly. Of some, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. a part of who you are. But one thing I love that you said too, is like realizing also that a lot of these experiences are always like available. Like, and it reminded me of that meditation kind of concept of the blue sky that mm-hmm. like, 
that are, it's all about our, where our awareness is at. And like, and so, um, I would love to hear too, like about how, like, do you use some of these religions that you've tapped into now in like a practical sense? Like, you know, obviously I use a lot of meditation now, you know, and, and I try to think of things like the blue sky when, when all the clouds are around, I realize that the blue sky is still there, you know, and I use a lot of these concepts in my everyday life from like a practical sense. And so do you, do you do that? And like, how, what does that look like to you on a daily? I mean, on the daily, you know, what you just described is pretty accurate. Um, you know, so just because in case it wasn't very clear from, you know, our, the the conversation up to now is essentially, you know, I have an evangelical background. My only other really acceptable experience of Christianity has been within, um, Catholicism that I practiced for a very short time in the Orthodox church and the Episcopal church. Um, and then other than that, like things that I've picked up personally, you know, have been like Tibetan Buddhism and Dharmic thought and, um, you know, what I find in nature, even contemplations of complete atheism where it's like, what if there's nothing? What if we're yeah, it? Which exactly. I always kind of skew more towards a humanist mm-hmm. than a pure nihilist in that sense. Yeah. Um, you know, and then just like what I get from mythology, you know, mm-hmm. and, and like how kind of the experience of nature and mythology tie in together in terms of worship of place. And, yeah. and honestly, I think that's where a lot of folk- folkloric religions really come from yeah. and why they influence me so strongly in my art, especially, but even in my personal life. So on a daily basis, like I do like little practices throughout my day and I do draw from things Um, much more so, I would say probably from um, Buddhism in terms of like contemplative, like meditation Mm -hmm. um, or just um, like Vipassana or other kinds of just very basic meditation I'll practice. And I try on the daily. I'm supposed to be doing on the daily. If, if from a practical, from a practical stance, oh, I can't even fucking talk right now. Like from a, from a, let me sound fucking smart right now. From a practical yeah. sense, from a practical sense, you know, practical you know, if you don't you get it, then you, help. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I was about to say, I know how you can get those fractals, but yeah, exactly. uh, it might take hey, a little more than just meditation. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey no. Uh, yeah. It's like, you know, meditation, what does that look like for you? Because I think, you know, someone maybe has never done it before Absolutely. that's listening yeah. and they're like, what the fuck's meditation? That voodoo, oh, sure. that voodoo shit, Satan shit, you know, <laughs> get that out of here. Turn the fucking football on. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I love, uh, you can love whatever you want. I love that's football. True. I don't give a shit. Football is um, plenty hey, meditative, dude, I'm sure. Seriously. Oh, yeah. Especially with Super pain. focused. Super yeah. focused, man. You get uh, smacked yeah. like that, you yeah, get some awareness dude. real, real fast. Yeah. yeah. So you can you get awoken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so meditation, though, okay. like, what does it look like for you? Like, is it in length or not that it's like comp- competitive or whatever? No, I'm just like no. interested of like Absolutely. how much time do you spend? Is so, it like a breath you know, work or? So, yeah, I can definitely talk to the practical aspects of it. Um, you know, so prayer is something I used to engage in a lot, you know what I mean? Like as mm-hmm. a child and, you know, something that I was taught to do very quietly. Like there was, there was like, was work- that conversationally kind of base? Like, what did that look like? I'm always interested yeah. like what How that actually, pray? Yeah, like what does that look like? Yeah, I know yeah. I've definitely like had a conversational style of praying, but it was one side. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Which yeah. I think also was like, probably part of that. I was like, I think God doesn't talk back to me in language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's definitely that whole like, oh, I want this to happen, or please don't let this happen, or I just want to thank you, Lord. You know what I mean? That kind mm-hmm. of very Baptist, like, praise be. Yeah, um, yeah. But as I got older, and then especially as I started practicing Buddhism, you know, I more so learned to just be quiet and to try to er- not er- like eradicate thought in a negative way, but to not think. Yeah. To not have like active or sequential thinking in that 
um, something that I think one of the reasons why I connected to Buddhism quickly, other than the, just the wonderful like liturgical experience of like going through all of their ritual, is that it affirmed my already existing practice of quiet mm. and, and going out and just sitting by myself in a room. Or, um, you know, when I was living with my parents for a really short time, uh, I had moved to Boston. I'm from Atlanta, but I'd moved to Boston. And then I moved mm. back um, and, and kind of had a period of a couple of months where I didn't have housing of my own yet, but I didn't want to, you know, I was teaching in Henry County and, and like doing stuff in Atlanta. So my parents were kind enough to let me move back in temporarily. Um, and at the time they actually had, uh, several acres down in Henry County on an old farm. Mm -hmm. And it's like that, that really is when I started getting serious about it is I would just walk out you know, like into the field Whoa. and just sit down and chill and, God, and not just think about anything. <laughs> oh, no, I wish I could do that too now. It's a lot harder to do in the city. I'll say that. Really? Like it's, yeah, because I, I get very concerned with like watching that plane or hearing the MARTA yeah. you know, thing, like hearing a siren, wondering if someone's okay, like immediately get alerted to other people. Mm. Um, not that you have to be alone to do this kind of stuff because um, you can kind of just blank out anywhere. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, in, in discovering Buddhism, it puts structure around that kind of meditation, that kind of experience. Um, and then what I learned there was using symbolism and visualization within meditation and how that can actually guide to almost altered or different levels of consciousness. Yeah. Um, and even some levels of consciousness that kind of affect your daily behavior yes. and like practicing loving kindness. You probably and end up manifesting different things by doing that, Very right? possibly. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that it, it like made God work in my life, but yeah. it made me work in my life. Exactly. Um, and so things that specifically I learned in Tibetan Buddhism, you know, so loving kindness, meditation, and generating what in Tibetan Buddhism is called bodhicitta or loving kindness. Um, is that and, almost like uh, speaking like affirmations of yourself? Like you it's say loving not kindness? even. It's, it's really not self-affirmative. Okay. At some levels it can be, but you're not affirming yourself. You're affirming your enlightened nature, ah. uh, which is also some like not in yourself, like I'm not looking in a mirror and seeing my enlightened nature as myself. You'd be looking, you'd be seeing your enlightened nature as an archetypal deity or Buddha or Bodhisattva. Yeah. Um, so you're not even you. It's more of a, you know, through ego death kind of thing. Yeah. But on a day-to-day -day practical level, the generation of loving kindness would be accompanied with thinking of people in your day-to-day -day and trying to empathize with them. Yeah. People you love is usually where you start, but then you should graduate to people you don't love or people that make you enraged, people that annoy you and anger you, total assholes, yeah. <laughs> horrible people. Yeah. And you should sit and consider, you know, not to necessarily understand that behavior, um, but to understand that that is also suffering. Yeah, You know what I mean? That exactly. to cause other people harm, at least in the Buddhist interpretation, is a kind of suffering. Yeah, um, I totally believe that. And, you know, I think that there are some psychologies in which that might not be the case, where you make someone suffer and you get enormous amounts of pleasure out of it. Yeah, in which you could argue, sure. well, that person is still suffering. It's just not conscious of the suffering they're causing. Yes. But like for myself, if I can tell I annoy someone and I'm because I'm so neurotic, I'm like, oh my God, I just, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know yeah. I, mean? I'm just like, I don't want to hurt anybody, yeah. you know, but then also, of course I hurt people all the time. Sure. So like the meditation with loving kindness meditation is nice in that it you just it kind of makes you much more aware of like how what am I about to go crazy here for a second or am I going to be like a logical pe person? Yeah, you know, like do I really need to yell in this situation? Mm -hmm. Do I need to feel annoyance in yeah. this situation? Like my reactions to like horrible things don't have to be always visceral when they don't have to be. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I can choose to be 
you know, maybe a slightly better version of myself. You catch yourself more. Yeah. Like, so and I've noticed that. that. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that. And so that's accompanied by um, specific mantras that are usually very, like, they're the first mantras you would learn as a child, which, of course, I didn't because I didn't come up and yeah. I, I appropriated it or adopted it. Yeah. Um, so, like, the, um, like, Om Mani Pema Hung is, like, the most common yes, mantra yeah. where it's just, like, you know, the Jewel Lotus mantra in which you're just basically almost visualizing more of something that is aesthetically pleasant um, in kind of like a jewel tree or like yeah. a beautiful lotus. And then you f- kind of relate that symbol to loving kindness and that loving kindness is physically beautiful yeah. in this way that you don't see in the day to day. It's almost like an abstract illustration of it. Yeah. But then it can also graduate into like, you know, visualizing 1,000 arm Shinrazig who has a thousand arms and there's an eye in each hand and he Whoa. sees all the suffering of the world. And it's actually a very messianic almost Jesus-like figure. I know that's a really mm-hmm. like surface level to interpret it. No, and yeah, there would yeah, be yeah. other Buddhists out there that'd be like, no, it's not. And there's other reasons why. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, for yeah. me and my background, that's immediately yeah. what I related yeah, it to. Exactly. Obviously, it was sure. the closest thing to my current arc or to yeah. my archetype yes. of loving kindness exactly. and forgiveness. It's Jesus, right? Yeah. You grow up for Baptist, sh- it's always going to be sh- Jesus. It's always going to be Jesus. So yeah, Shinrazig totally. and Jesus, yeah. you know, occupy that same space. Mm-hmm. And of course, to some degree, also Maitreya in a messianic sense, and that is the Buddha of return. But, you know, it all comes back to, you know, the way you treat other people. And then, of course, in that and higher levels of loving kindness meditation is also related to meditation of hell and meditation of punishment and pain. Mm. Not just in that, like, you should be a good person so you don't suffer like this, but understanding the suffering of other people yeah. and that they are experiencing hell in that moment. Yes. Um, so that is meditation one. <laughs> That is amazing. But then there are definitely other meditations that I've picked up from Buddhism that kind of speak to, um, you know, sort of taking, I mean, there's the practical element of taking your level of consciousness outside of what you currently have. Mm -hmm. So a good example of this in Tibetan Buddhism and specifically in the old school Tibetan Buddhism that I have practiced called Nyigma, um, which is a Vajrayanic Buddhism. Um, is Dzogchen meditation, which is is based in the loving-kindness meditation that I just described, yeah. but it takes it to this other more astronomical or almost apocalyptic level. And it's sometimes this is described as apocalyptic Buddhism because yeah. it's about cessation of rebirth mm. is the ultimate goal is like you don't want to be human anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so this is where this comes in. Where you God, sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> you meditate on loving kindness and you visualize, you know, these entirely different dimensions of existence mm-hmm. all the way through, you know, like the hell realms, which are so horrific, more horrific even than like classical Christian hell. Yeah. All the way up to enlightenment that is like the beauty of the minor gods and you know up to the bodhisattvas and buddhas where they live in these like galactic realms of perfection and where you know physics makes perfect sense and it it goes from the visual all the way to like physics works different in this realm you know what i mean of this god um but you eventually kind of travel through all this time and all these places to get to where you are just existence and it's not existence and it's not non-existence. Yeah, becoming it's, it's, nobody. Almost, right. Yeah. Right. But also somebody. It's, yeah, it's the whole exactly. emptiness and form, but and it's, it's like most, um, you know, it's like the epitome of it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hard to put into words. I can't say I've ever like purely successfully practiced Dzogchen, but I've had moments where I'm like, okay, maybe this is close in yeah. retrospect where it's, it's kind of like a, it's a hyper awareness, but not within your body. 
and not so much even within your mind. You know mm. what I mean? It's just yeah. kind of like water. Like emptiness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and it is an expression of emptiness. But yeah. at the same time, I also don't want to misrepresent. Becoming it, like all of it. Yeah, in that because emptiness gets you there, but mm-hmm. it's the recognition of form that keeps you from just, you know, like having no frame of reference or context for your meditation. Yeah. So both have to exist at all times. Uh, the ideas of emptiness and form, but yeah. So yeah, so that's another thing that I have worked on in the past and that I probably should get back to doing on a daily basis. Yeah. But I've also, you know, I have all these what are called sadhanas. It's basically like more of a, a ritualistic practice that I used to engage in daily. I don't really anymore. I'll do it occasionally. Yeah. Um, you know, this gets into more of what I've kind of been kind of um, getting into in the last probably two to three years for myself um, is kind of exploring like what is what is literally like my daily mystery? What is like my daily kind of like spirit? Yeah. And I know that sounds really hokey and kind of no. corny. It's like what's my daily practice or no. my daily spirit I kind of thing. That. I but need that. It, I don't think I've quit looking to, you know, Buddhism and Christianity so directly. Mm-hmm. They obviously are my grounded elements and where I go, but I'm like, okay, what I have in front of me are these amazing trees that I have yeah. in my backyard. And I have my dogs and I have my friends and, you know, like I have, you know, like the the tedium of work and frustration. And I'm instead trying to draw on these daily things mm. and put them out of context or put them in a new context and thinking, what is the most meaning I can get out of this? And what is the most practical value I can get out of this? Yeah. So that's obviously very directly related to the practices of both Christianity and Buddhism <clears throat> in that it's like, you know, mindfulness. Yeah, even Taoist a little bit of like yeah. just being fluent with life itself. Right, like, right. You know, it comes in in like this like humanist element of Christianity yeah. even. But, um, yeah, I've really focused less on, you know, like I need to be meditating at this point in time and I should go to church this Sunday. You know, instead I'm just like, okay, I'm making coffee. You know what I mean? Like what, this is a magic thing. Like the way the grounds look and the way they pour into the cup. It's like, I just kind of like, wow, that is the most beautiful thing I've seen yet today. You know what I mean? It's It's it's, crazy. It's been a nice contemplation. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's crazy. You just said that because yesterday, um, we did a a witchcraft spell on our coffee on a podcast (laughs) and we were saying about that simplicity of waking up and setting your intentions, essentially that you're looking at the grounds and and the the alchemy of, of caffeine. Yeah. in it and it's going to lift you up and brighten your day and you're believing that by drinking this with like cinnamon and whatever else like that it's like lifting you up and propelling Precisely. you you know what I mean and so it's like living your life but with intention right exactly and, it, and I think that is kind of where I've been more these days is kind of like creating those intentional practices and also understanding that much in the same way that a Christian might say like God is in all things or a Buddhist yeah. might say form and emptiness is all of everything and nothing Mm -hmm. you know it's all of what you could ever possibly know in the same way it's that you know anything can be deified essentially Mm -hmm. in your mind and that it can become a symbol it might not be god itself but it can be a symbol of god if that's what you want to believe that the meaning and the semantic or the semiotics of of our day-to-day is up to us that, yes, there's the shared kind of understanding of reality that makes us all function together, but that there's no one and nothing to stop me from thinking, like, for example, this cup of coffee is my communion right now. Yes, like, this this yeah. is the most beautiful thing in the world yes. right now because it is aesthetically beautiful, yeah. but also because I give it that meaning, that that 
this is, you know, the thing that I'm going to say with this cup of coffee today, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to not be a shithead and get X, Y, and Z done. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or I'm going to, you know, like, I'm going to have like an awesome two hours in which I'm just not going to worry about things or I'm going to get something done or with this cup of coffee, I'm going to seek revenge on someone. I mean, it doesn't have to go any one way or another, but you could raise it up to that level of spirit or of even a more spiritual leaning mystery. Yes. Um, Because it's entirely up to you. It's your psychology. I love that you bring this up too (laughs) because I feel like that this is where I'd love to to move into like a little bit more of like mythology and stories. Because like you just said, it's like you're just making it up because Mm -hmm. in a sense, that's what we're just doing Mm -hmm. in general. Like all of it, all of it is make believe. All of it is like this crazy thing. And the more you think about it, that we're just proton destroyers, just sucking in light, eating it and creating some weird reality. And we all get together and try to like convince ourselves we're experiencing the exact same one, you know, and, and this, it gets really, 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 really crazy, you know? And so it's like, but but what I fear is that now in the younger generation, and maybe you've seen this, I don't know, that's why I wanted to go down this like world, is that there is more and more of a loss of mythology mm-hmm. and a reasoning. So it's more like becoming more like, um, well, this is just the Google answer, mm-hmm. and this is the way that it is, and there's no reason why you should do it, essentially. Right. Like, it's just like, it's there. And I yeah. think what mythology does, the stories does, is it gives you a compelling, like, parable on why you should do this certain thing or live right. this certain way. Right. Or like you said, giving you the power over your coffee to tell yourself a story that, yeah. that even if it's as simplistic of, like, a placebo effect, right. it's at least actually working in your life and it's yeah. doing something for you. And I feel like the younger generation is being so fed, just like fed uh, information, noise, essentially, mm-hmm. social media, movies, you know, everything's just coming so fast now and at our fingertips. It's almost like we don't have that uh, that di- that differentiation of even being able to tell our own story yeah. because we've lost the art of even telling one. Yeah. So I both agree and kind of disagree with this. Do you know what I mean? I think Mm -hmm. that it's important to have old mythology. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to understand the kind of not just evolution of humanity from a technological or, well, I mean, you could argue that storytelling and art is technology. But um, I think that it's important to understand psychologically, spiritually, ethically, where have we come from and how has that evolved and repeated over time? Um, And how has that changed with technology Mm -hmm. and with our, not just technology, but more specifically like like our uh, access to information, because mm-hmm. that's the difference. Well, there's so many differences. Like that, <laughs> being like really, really black and white with this. No, but no, one major difference from my generation versus my parents' generation is my access to information. You know, like instead of like having to wait for the news to come on TV and then hoping that they show me the right stories, exactly. I can find anything at all yes. times and I can even find stuff that's untrue. I can find anyone's interpretation or any fact or any non-fact yeah. at any time because the internet. Mm-hmm. And also since everyone has that access, everyone knows more, mm-hmm. arguably, at, you know, colloquially at all times. It might not be about anything important whatsoever, Yeah, but I can never remember a time when I could talk to a coworker like, have you seen Russian Doll on Netflix? And not only have they seen Russian Doll on Netflix, they have seen every episode and we're both already ready to talk about it because yep. we've also read the four articles that came out within the first two hours the show was aired. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like we had access to that at the same time, at the same place, as immediately yeah. because of the internet. And it's just there. Mm-hmm. It's instantaneous. Um, so on one hand, that 
does threaten mythology and storytelling because there's no time for interpretation. Mm. However, I think the other side of that is that as we progress in time, obviously our mythologies change and that we should be looking at, honestly, even our pop culture in recent history and what and kind of start wondering what is the future mythology of this? Yeah. Science fiction is like the closest thing we have. I agree. But there's still like this disconnect within science fiction about, you know, that that it's so focused on the technology and things that sometimes we don't think about it like in a more day-to-day, even like a name kind of way. Yeah. You know, I don't know. As I say that, I feel like, no, you're totally wrong about this because like there is a story that literally does that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think that the closest thing we can get to a sense of what our new mythologies might look like is science fiction mm-hmm. or future-based fantasy. Like Afrofuturism is a great example yeah. of this. Like that's, you know, it's like maybe this is part of what, you know, as, as culture changes is like. That's a good point. Yeah. Like maybe sci-fi is just our mythology now. It's it's the idea of like, well, what can we build next? Right, like, right. You know, like, what can we do next? Right, and that makes you kind of look at mythology in a way, in a different way too. It's not mm-hmm. like, oh, that was science fiction as a genre, but yeah. is is it fulfilling a same or similar purpose for the people in that time? Exactly. Because we look at mythology as like a histrionic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the right word for that. I don't know. Yeah, I just sounds sounded good to me. SAT real fast, <laughs> right? Oh my God. Throwing out the hey, most expensive words. Hell yeah. Um, I ain't going to fact check you. Let's <laughs> <laughs> broke science that shit. I know how. <laughs> talking about this stuff can sound pretentious. So I'm like, oh, the no, histrionics. Yeah. Um, if people only knew our day before the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> we ain't taking this shit too seriously. That's so true. <laughs> oh my gosh. But anyway, what I was trying to say, you know, it's like the stories of the gods yeah. to a Greek, a classically, you know, classical Greek person, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's like, like what? Like, like 50. I don't even know. I can't think of my history timelines, but obviously pre-Christian, pre many modern technologies, you know, like there are stories of, you know, like the gods and like their oracles that we now have as like classic literature and mythology in the present at that time. What is that to them? Was it a visioning of the future? Of course, the stories were probably entirely different because so much of it was probably lost to time. Um, You know, so we should be looking at what's happening right now and understand that that is going to be part of our mythology. Our mythology, our Even 50 story. years in the future, Whoa. not just like hundreds of thousands of years. I wonder it, if technology itself will be our God in this story. Like in, in a sense of like... Or partly one. Or partly yeah. one of the big ones. I mean, ones, not to make you know? it sound all American gods, but yeah, I actually do think yeah. that is a really interesting interpretation yeah. of deification and, and like, you know, the spiritual mm-hmm. experience of the now. Um is, you know, and I'm not even a huge Neil Gaiman fan at all, but I just mm-hmm. really, really loved that idea. Yeah, for that, sure. I watched a few of the episodes. Oh, yeah. Mean? Well, yeah. I read the, the book was great. Oh, you should shit, read the, the book. The, the book is excellent. Really? The oh, second shit. one, you know, the first one was really, really excellent. Okay. Um, but basically just in that, you know, we're writing mythologies now and we're actually like deifying our culture at all times and everyone always has, which is why pagan gods have existed for so long and why they're also interrelated and, and things just continue to evolve in the same yeah. line because the concept like the like the whole paradigm of it has yeah. not changed do you know what i mean like that's yeah. innately human that's what yeah. archetypes are do so, you think like kim kardashian's an archetype kind yes, of yes she absolutely I think, is that's what i was kim thinking kardashian, yeah. like she's venus you know yes, she's to some thinking. degree even athena even yes. though we might not think of her like that yeah. like you know we listen to what she tells us to do and we yeah. see when she does a philanthropic cause that yeah. it is like oh she's like you know this warrior philanthropist i mean that's very an yeah. athena and i'm sure we've got quality. some war gods and we've got 
about oh, some you other, know you know what yeah, I mean? Like totally. that's what I kind of think. I think yeah. some of these big figures that are controlling the way that we think is much no much different than a god, uh, right. you know, as far as the way right. that we look at life and react towards right. life. And you I know? think that that's the one knowable thing about God or gods or however, you know, whatever de- you know, deity mm-hmm. that you might want to talk about is that we experience them not so much as like, this is the God that can destroy me with lightning, but like this, you know, this is that archetype mm-hmm. that's filled. This is the human archetype that's filled, whether it's deific or not. It's yeah. filled by celebrities yeah. and it's filled by historic figures yes. and even people in our lives. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like surely, you know, there's yeah. like the, you know, all mother in your life. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. like people that inform your concept or these things, you know, these aspects of some kind of godlike figure. It almost seems like we just need the symbols so that we can all communicate. Precisely. It is language. Yeah. yeah, It's just a form of language. Right. Well, and and again, just to come back to it, it's like, we're just talking about archetypes and like, that's what an archetype is, is a shared understanding of a specific role or a specific, you know, uh, genre or idea, Yeah. you know? So mother, is everything from a goddess to yeah. your mom or to uh, a mom you don't even want. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, so it's, it, it's the whole gamut, but it's within the same vein of concept or archetype. Yeah. So, and that kind of comes back to this whole thought. It's like, you know, any moment or anything can be deified or given a new meaning um, at any time. Yeah. How, how have you, and I know we've talked a little bit off the podcast and stuff about, the stress and how you've experienced depression and, and things like that in your life. Like how do you, how has these, these type of things, these archetypes, all these things we're talking about helped combat that at times. And, and, and really specifically like how do you deal with the dark? Because we've talked a lot about light and like, you know, elevation and awareness and, and, you know, being a good person. Absolutely. And it's like, and then, and then obviously the opposite of it is that we all have a darkness in us that's capable of some really ugly shit. Absolutely. And, and how do you deal with that and identify that? Yeah. So, um, just as a little bit of background, you know, like I've, I've lived a really, really healthy childhood, even Mm -hmm. though it was full of a lot of stress and some, you know, significant like familial loss and like changes in my family uh, that we all experienced together. Um, you know, it was overall very, like, I had a very resilient childhood, basically. Like, I never wanted for anything. My parents were very loving, even though they were going through their own stuff. We all ended up fine. However, I think it was partly hereditary and partly because I went through some stressors as a child um, that were somewhat, um, not, like, catastrophic, but maybe a little minimally atypical. Um, You know, I started feeling what I would probably call like a childhood depression, like in pre-adolescence that never really left. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I I very high. What was that? Can you explain that? Yeah. And the only reason is because I feel like it's just going to give me more. I love talking about this kind of childhood stuff because it gives me ammo and tools to understand my son. And so it's like, I'm like, shit, I don't, if that happens to my son, I want to know like maybe a way that I could navigate that better. You know. Well, one thing we were talking about, you know, before we started recording was uh, the death of my grandmother when I was six. Okay, yes. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you for coming now to the Psychoanalytic Podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All of exactly. you can like either tune in more or turn it off depending on your predilections. Yeah. Um, so I lost her when I was six. And as I was describing to you, I'll try to kind of like, um, you know, say it quickly. She, she formed very much of who I am today with a love of art and animals and nature and just really, you know, taking the time to learn to draw, yeah. taking the time to learn the names of all the animals, yeah. you know, respecting and, and loving the people that do work with animals and artists and people that do work that maybe isn't like, you know, so hard to qualify. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
so, you know, she passed away when I was six, which was like almost the worst age for that to happen because I was old enough to remember everything very vividly Mm -hmm. and to even have an understanding of what it meant, specifically that my grandmother was dead and never coming back. Um, But it was also, I was young enough that I did not have, you know, the maturity or the life experience to temper the pain and the grief that I was feeling for the first time. It was literally the first time, right? Yeah. Um, And my parents did a a fairly good job, if not great job, in like taking care of me in that time. But inevitably, it did change how I thought about life forever Mm -hmm. after that. And it was a, a loss that I still feel to this day, you know, mm-hmm. like of all of my grandparents, I have like a lot of her stuff here in the house just because yeah. I never wanted to let go of it. And I still don't. Yeah. So that kind of got me into a gloomier mindset as a little kid mm-hmm. because it made me fascinated with death. Yeah. And I would used to like try to play dead and yeah. just lie as still as I could and just like try to make my brain stop. And I would even try to stop breathing mm-hmm. so I could see maybe a little bit what it would be like to be dead. Um, and it made me kind of recede a little more, become a little more introverted and more kind of interested in nature and animals and spending lots of time outside. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that kind of gloominess I've always felt since then. But beyond that, I really started experiencing serious depression, probably in pre-adolescence, which, of course, that's a time when everyone experiences depression because you're going through all these hormonal changes. Yeah. But as an adult, uh, my depression got really, really significant, probably around the age of like 17 and persisted into my early 20s until I really started seeking treatment. Yeah. Um, it was, I've never, I've been diagnosed a few times with a few different things, but I think it's like less important to go into what all of that is than yeah. just experience that. What for, did it feel like at times? Yeah. Like so, for, for people, because I try to like, some people have just never experienced depression yeah. and they just don't get, you know, Absolutely. they don't even understand Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So it's, it's the best way to describe it is kind of that your entire like perspective on life is just shifted. Mm. completely. So the meanings of things are different than what is commonly shared, right? Yeah. So I drop my coffee on the way to class and it spills everywhere and I've lost my coffee for the morning. That becomes a perfect reason to consider killing yourself yeah. because like, wow, I'm such a fuck up. I just dropped my coffee. Like yeah. I could have caused it. And of course, because I have high anxiety, yeah. you know, that goes into racing thoughts. Like it was in the middle of the street. What if I had caused an accident? I wonder if somebody saw that. I wonder if one of my professor saw that. Did like this guy like see that, you mm-hmm. know, like now I'm not going to have my coffee. I'm only going to fall asleep in class, which I do because yeah. I'm depressed. Yeah. <laughs> and I just like expended all my energy, yeah. like with racing thoughts and trying not to cry in public. Yeah. Um, so, but that's ridiculous, right? No one should cry or spill coffee. Go get you a new coffee. Coffee. Tell them you dropped their coffee, you'll probably get it for free. You know what I mean? And then be happy that you had this funny moment with the barista about you dropping your coffee. It's a lack of awareness that you can have those positive moments or you do know you can, but you don't because it's too much effort or you just am like, I'm going to fuck it up anyway, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. It also is a very physical feeling and something that actually finds its way into my artwork really significantly are psychosomatic responses that I've had to depression and anxiety, but also to like to pleasure Mm -hmm. and to feel like really like all of like the feelings, all of the intangibles. You know what I mean? Um, Depression specifically is a very much a physical pain too. Like I specifically feel it like in my neck and in my spine. Mm. Um, It's a lethargy, you know, and you always see that in the antidepressant commercials. Like if you're lethargic and fatigued. Yeah. Um, At one point I was even diagnosed with um, hyposomnia Mm. because all I did was sleep. 
and I would fall that asleep like me. at all times. <laughs> yeah, but it was I wasn't I wasn't expending too much energy. I wasn't staying up late. It's yeah. because I was so depressed. I literally couldn't stay awake. Now, in other things, more so related to probably anxiety or even pleasure, is like at times like when I've experienced you know extreme panic attacks or like a very deep depression that kind of borders on almost like altered states of consciousness. Mm. I don't know that I would straight up call it psychosis because I never had behaviors directed towards other people that were like, whoa, okay, she's gone (laughs) into this different thing altogether. I've felt that Um, a few times. But yeah, no, and it's it's something people don't understand can be related to depression, that depression Mm -hmm. and psychosis actually have a a relationship, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in in specific ways like like, like manic depression, for example. You see that uh, paired a lot with. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I experience, um, like color in those moments, um, in some extreme moments, I've actually seen the color. So there have been times when I've been so enraged that I literally am seeing like oranges and reds, or there have been times where I'm in such extreme pleasure that everything is ultraviolet and my world is ultraviolet for a little, like maybe a second. Wow. So I don't, you know, that almost sounds like synesthesia. I'm not on here saying like I'm synesthetic and all this stuff. Um, but it's definitely the kind of deal where like, yeah, like my psychology, I feel very deeply in my body and I don't know why that is. It's just my makeup, my physiology, um, you know, like extreme illness that that's like a green or a pea green, like, Oh God, I hate it when that happens, especially when I throw up, I see green and that's when I know like, Oh, everything's kind of yellow. (laughs) I think I'm running a fever. I'm going to throw up. Um, on that note, um, kind of to build on top of that experience that I already have sort of this like state of consciousness that I know or have been told is not the norm. And then on top of that, I feel that state of consciousness in a way that I know is not the norm. And having sought treatment for my depression and anxiety, I now know in hindsight is an altered state, um, you know, in in the grand scheme of things. For for myself, normal. But for everybody else, not normal. Um, you know, and honestly, once I started seeking treatment, that enabled me to build on top of those experiences and see them um, kind of uh, divorced from myself yeah. or divorced from my my sense of worth, most importantly. And that instead of going, oh, my God, like, this is so embarrassing. I just got really distracted talking to this person because I saw a color or I saw, like, a flash yeah. of light, um, you know. Instead, th- I go back and look. I'm like, whoa, that was that was interesting. Yeah. What what else could that have meant? Why did I? I felt that and I saw that because I was so nervous, and that person like took me aback. So then, what do I build on top of that? Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. that's where reaching into things like mythology as an as something to inform my interpretations of past experiences mm-hmm. helps me in the day to day. But it also very if you've seen my art, that that yeah. that is my art. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, what was this time when that was incredible? What was this time that actually was magic and I didn't see it for what it was? Or what if it's Mm. a new experience that is essentially like, how do I make this thing in front of me magic instead of the day-to-day? Yeah. And yeah, so it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, but also that that is how a lot of my ideas arise for my art. When you have those transcendent type experiences, even for like a blip, a moment Mm -hmm. of color, of... Even as you were saying it, man, I was like starting to almost experience like a hue of like <laughs> bright yellow. Uh-huh. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm about to pass out on the podcast. No, no, no I'm just don't kidding. Fall out on me. No, I'm just kidding. I'll just be talking to myself, which <laughs> yeah, I can I do. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But yeah, what do you, what do you, in those experiences, 
what what do you feel like that is and and what i mean is like i know you've experienced entheogens and you know what transcendence can feel like from that perspective does it feel like that like some sort of almost trip or or do you feel like you're almost blurring into another Mm -hmm. perception of reality on the situation Mm -hmm. and it it very much depends on whether i'm experiencing that now versus in the past in Mm -hmm. the past it was a very frightening thing um that made me worried like oh my god am i schizophrenic you know it it led to again like really racing and negative thoughts because that's where i was yeah but much and kind of getting back to the original question too and what do you do with the darkness it's like the fear of losing your mind is part of that. And I've absolutely had multiple moments where I'm like, I might lose my mind and I've got to really check myself or figure something out, you know? And again, like I've been lucky in that I've had access to treatment and I've had, I, I've had, I've been blessed with, uh, bless. (laughs) The Lord has blessed me with the hands of a narcissist. I I still say blessed all the time. I've just been blessed by the God. I don't even know exists. Lord, I've just been you know blessed. what? I'm gonna own it. There's value in that. Dude, I'm there own is. That. There it's is. True. Power we, of that's life and death in the tongue, man. I believe I that for but sure. But even beyond that, you know, now experiencing those things, you know, it it uh, isn't as scary as it used to be because I know what it is. I know that does not mean I'm losing my mind. It's yeah. just how I respond. It's how my brain responds, and I know that it is partly coming from the wiring of my brain. It's mm-hmm. entirely that. That's the yeah. only thing it can be. That's the physical reason why it happens. Yeah. Um, but the meaning in that, it doesn't have inherent meaning. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a biological response mm-hmm. is how I see it. But that doesn't take the magic out of it, and it doesn't take the interpretive value out of it. And, it, you know, kind of back to our whole, like, conversation about, like, God or spirit or soul or whatever, it doesn't take that element out of it for me either. Yeah. Because, it, again, I don't know if there's a corporeal God. Maybe the soul and the spirit is just part of the of biology. Um, maybe it is my physical wiring that makes me feel a little more that way than like purely atheist and logical and just yeah. like, you know, um, which I completely respect and get a lot of value of too, actually. Um, so in that respect, um, those moments now I, I have that kind of awareness that this is bad now and it sucks now, or this is a little scary or a little off putting. Um, but I can, I could, I just need to sit with it. I need to decide what this means and I need to decide that over time and to not be so quick to see things as good or bad or as bad yeah. <laughs> specifically in my case Seriously. and instead allow it to play out in a, in a protective way and kind of go from there and, and allow the story to kind of blend from there. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot more hands off of a psychological experience or even an ethical experience than I've had in the past. Does it help you let go of fear more? A little bit, way? a little bit versus um, like the narrative growing up of like a religion where like fear is based in like, if I don't do yeah. these things and there's well, destruction. Out, yeah. Or, even outside of religion. I mean like being, I was born in 84. Yeah. So I was brought up with a like, you know, you can be anything, but don't be a failure. You know, yeah. capitalism will work sure, for you. Sure, you know, like yeah. the whole, like, you know, you got to work hard mm-hmm. and you can be anything, mm-hmm. which for my generation and subsequently younger generations is more and more impossible because yes. of our context and what yes. we've been dealt economically yeah. and, and socially. Yeah, it's almost impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So there was not just like the sense of spiritual failure and the fear of like hell and all that dogmatic fear, but just the fear of like being a shit person and failing and like uh. not living up to your parents' expectations or more importantly, your own expectations. And, um, you know, I'm at a place now, you know, where I can let go of more of that. Although I think that some of that does still drive me and that I don't want to fail myself. And that's part of the reason, you know, why like, I work my ass off. I take mm -hmm. on too many projects at one time. You know what I mean? Like I try to work on art every day. I might take a half day to one day off a week. Yeah. Um, and I'm not bragging about that. That's a horrible no, way to live. No, I'm yeah. the worst boss on earth. But, um, or at least within my socioeconomic yeah, yeah. the worst boss on earth. It's like, oh, look at this little privileged white girl yeah. talking about how her art practice is the worst boss on earth. Bitch, please. So yeah, I, I, I understand I how ridiculous you. that just I know, sounded. I know your heart. But I'm fucking tired. I'm tired all the time. Yes, I work all the time. I feel it. But that uh, partly too, is because man. I do still feel that fear. I still mm -hmm. feel the fear of failure and personal hell and all these things. Yeah. It's just that the fear is now more motivating than crippling. Yeah. Um, and I got there, I think, through exploring these spiritual practices. But even more importantly, I got there just to getting older and, yeah. and just sticking through it and getting the right mental health care, or not even the right mental health care, but just mental health care at all. Mm -hmm. um, and, and continually seeking to be better and to most importantly to have friends and family that support me in that. And I can't speak enough to how important that is and, and how difficult it is to maintain. Yeah. But that, the, that work has, has definitely been of great benefit for me. Just, you know, one speak. thing that I'm struggling with or, or where I'm at is that whole idea of violence, you know? And it's like, I've went down this road many of times, but I feel like that I, and I've thought about these thoughts many of times, but I think I'm finally feeling these thoughts for the first time. And that is like, it, I want to be all of it. Like I'm, yeah. t I'm so tired of feeling boxed or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I want to just be a witnesser. I want to yeah. witness this reality, yeah. you know, whether it's whatever this or that. But then I also feel like, man, like where do I find, where do I find myself on the scale of like wrath and love, you know, yeah. or like death and light or, you know, black, <clears throat> you know, black and white, whatever, like however you want to look at that gradient. And lately, you know, I feel like that the best way for me to activate both simultaneously is just to love my darkness. And so right. that way, like I'm bringing awareness that I have a dark side, yeah. but I'm also activating the light side by loving the dark yeah. side and therefore just being all of it at once. And it's kind of scary at times though, because I feel like I'm constantly in this kind of like wavelength mm -hmm. of like, kind of like a heartbeat, right? It's yeah. just like, I'm experiencing sometimes when things I feel unpleasant about myself and the way I'm looking at this life, even if it's just driving on fucking 75 and people are cutting me off and the way that I drive now is much different oh, with yeah. that awareness because I'm trying my, my hardest not to get caught up in right, that moment, right. but there still is like this humanistic rage and there still is an identity there. There still is ego there because yeah. it creates differentiation in who I am as a human. And so I'm constantly in this fucking battle yeah. of just like, uh, this is just like, what do I do? Why? Yeah. You know? And totally. It's like, no, it's, I, I can uh, absolutely relate. And, and so the way I deal with darkness now, um, I've, I've seen some really dark shit yeah. <laughs> to this point at, at I'm going to be 35 in like yeah. three weeks. Right. The, can you tell me the darkest? So the just darkest like, thing, well, I lost a infant child. Oh, um, fuck. so in 2015 I got to be almost six months pregnant 
and um, experienced a really rare presentation of preeclampsia, which is actually mm. a pretty common problem of uh, pregnancy. Mm -hmm. It's like an immunological rejection of the placenta, and it makes your blood pressure skyrocket, and it makes mm. your kidneys fail. And, um, you know, it's, it's essentially just um, an autoimmune disorder yeah. related and manifested most in blood pressure. Um, I developed it, you know, at 22 weeks of pregnancy almost, mm. and most people develop it in like week 30 and later. The problem with it being so early is that the only way to stop the autoimmune response is to deliver the child and therefore the placenta. Mm -hmm. um, and so in the state of Georgia, I could not get an abortion, I don't think, or there was some reason why that was not a good option. It either yeah. wasn't available to me. And I, as a woman, I should know if it was actually sure. available to me or not, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I don't want to misrepresent in case I'm wrong. No, no, I just no, remember thinking, okay. well, we can't do that. Um, so I had to... Uh, deliver the child really early. I had to have an emergency C-section. And, and the problem was not just that I had preeclampsia, because preeclampsia is treatable. I actually had a seizure. Um, so it's a seizure that happens in more of the base of your brain. It's, um, it, it is the number one leading cause of death in mothers across the world. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, it can be a very serious condition because basically you start having these seizures and bleeding on the brain, which is why you're having the seizure. And you either die from seizing uncontrollably and essentially just withering away, or you die of complete organ failure or a stroke. Um, typically women will have a stroke or an aneurysm and that's how they die. And it's, the seizures are a symptom of bleeding on the brain. So that's what that is. Whoa. So I had had a seizure. So thankfully this is weird. I don't want to go into it too far. Um, but basically I drove myself to the doctor, uh, when I knew something was wrong and mm. I told them it's preeclampsia and I know I shouldn't have it yet, but I have it. And they were like, no way. And, and the, and mind you, my, sure. my doctors were incredible. Like some yeah. of the best. And it's just, I'm the only, the second person among thousands, thousands of patients they've ever had that has presented Whoa. that specific condition at that time. So we went immediately from the doctor to the hospital. As soon as I hit the hospital bed, maybe 10 minutes later, I had a seizure. Whoa. So I could have had that seizure going down the road. Yes. It could have been at the doctor's. I, so I was very, very, very lucky that it happened in a hospital where I could have gotten, where I got immediate care. So thankfully... Um, you know, I didn't suffer really any lasting brain damage or, yeah. or it didn't develop into a full stroke because of that. Um, however, that also meant I had to deliver the child, uh, who I'm calling a child at that point because they had a birth certificate. Yeah. So my son has a birth certificate and a death certificate. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a very gray situation because yeah. that was so early in a pregnancy. I don't want to at all say it was the same as like having a nine-month stillbirth or having a child yeah. that died after they were born. It's a very different situation. But it was still an incredibly dark and horrible situation. The aftermath of it was that I had a period of like six to eight weeks where I was at risk of having a stroke or an aneurysm very seriously. Mm. Um, and also it means that it could, there's an 80% chance of it happening again. So I had to completely yeah. let go of the idea of it being easy for me to be a biological mother or being a mother at all, because Whoa. I wasn't willing Jeez, to yeah. die yeah, just to risk yeah. having a child. That, that makes no sense to me personally. Yeah. If you want to do that, that's fine. Sure, but yeah. I'm not. No, I, totally <laughs> I like get life that. too much. Yeah. And nearly dying told me how much I liked being alive. Um, it's also when I got serious about my art, because as I was 
pretty much like putting together everything that happened and I had a really serious talk with my doctor and it occurred to me I could die in this situation. Like yeah. it would not, there's a 50% chance I could probably die in this situation. And that's when I was like, I didn't make my art. All I could think was like, I was a designer, like I'd gone to mm. art school, I'd done all these things, but I didn't make my art. I didn't really practice it, yeah. which is when I started, you know, making art as a good book. Yeah. That's where that comes from. Um, but that's probably the darkest thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. So you could probably imagine all of the grief and trauma yeah. that stems from that and how it completely changed my identity. Of course. I mean, uh, you know, of course everyone would be an entirely different person after that, but that physically changed me in my body. It changed my brain. It, it changed. I mean, it's not like I'm a totally new person, but yeah, I mean, like I'm still Brittany who I was when I was six and, and you know what I mean? But yeah. it, it definitely reprioritized everything in my life. Mm. Um, but it also sent me into some of the deepest depression and darkness I've ever experienced, like grief like I had never known. Yeah. And out of that, essentially to stay alive, I, you know, started making art. And I was like, I'm going to even make myself a little persona so I don't have to attach it to myself and worry about not having value. Yeah. It's going to be Gabo, which is still my family name. So it's not like not me. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, I am... You know, or Ida. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like potato goddess. Yeah. This is who I'm going to be. It was still yeah. grounded in like an authentic thing. Yeah. But it was a new identity. And it was one that I realized was always there. Mm -hmm. It's just I had not put the meaning towards it. It had not meant something up to that point. And it then meant survival. And it meant, you know, essentially like, well, I guess I've done and been through enough stuff to where I do kind of have a story to tell now. So I should tell that story. Yeah. Um, so that's one way I deal with darkness now <laughs> is, is, you know, it's, I'm not yeah. trying to say like my art practice is therapy, no, but it has a therapeutic quality. Yeah. Another thing that I do that has been helpful is that experience also kind of put in perspective, like my sort of like path of like tr exploring religion, like whether it's different, you know, evangelical versus Catholicism or Catholic Christianity or Buddhism or like going out and like, you know, dancing naked in the woods, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like more like paganistic or like a cult or folkloric or just personal things. Mm -hmm. Cause I've even like, I'm, I mean, I, I have friends that are straight up like chaos magicians yeah, and they practice sure. that and they're well versed in it. You know, I, very very fringe dabble like i read the book yeah, you know what i mean yeah, but i also yeah. saw like a lot of things i was already doing like through buddhism and stuff and that but it's it's essentially like that experience opened that up to me in a way that i was less afraid of the kind of cosmic consequences mm -hmm. of just like you know finding some kind of like soulful authenticity or meaning or because it's kind of fun too yeah like just exploring all of that so um you know, that opened that up to me because I did have such a strong brush with death that I was like, you know what? I could die any day and I don't know what that afterlife is. Yeah. But why should I punish myself for not exploring what I can be experiencing now and what I can be giving people now? Hell yeah. So, um, you know, kind of like we were talking before and like having like, okay, this moment of pouring coffee is complete magic and I make it into this larger thing or a ritual. Um, you know, something that I've explored more and this is, this is getting into probably like the most like witchy or hippie kind of like aspect of my day to day is that I pay close, close attention to my dreams 
Mm. And I've gotten into the practice and I've gotten really good at remembering my dreams. And it does oh, take yeah. practice. You really can hone the skill. Whoa. Um, like, so I basically started writing down my dreams and I dream. Is it like a pad by you or something? Yeah. I keep it in my nightstand. I really oh, yeah. don't do it anymore because I've gotten to a point where I remember pretty oh, well, or at yeah. least I like convince myself. I remember yeah. regardless, I get a cool story out of yeah, it. So that's fuck fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> So every now and again, I've actually had dreams of doing a specific ritual that just came to me or I'm being told by someone or something outside of myself, you know, do these things. Because, you know, when you have a dream, sometimes it's like, oh, I got some kind of really important knowledge, but now I'm up and I can't remember what that was. Yeah. What I can remember is like being told, burn a candle at both ends and, you know, contemplate your productivity and why you're working (laughs) and decide how you're going to tackle this tactfully and commit yourself to it. So that, that was a, that was a ritual I had a dream about pretty early on in my art practice. And I think it was about just getting my shit together and getting serious about it. And the whole burning candle at both ends, obviously is the you know, like the colloquial understanding of like, you're working too hard and all this stuff. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm going to work too hard. So that's how I set my mind to it. Um, so that's, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. That's really, really dope. So that kind of stuff, if it comes to me, I'll do it yeah. just to see what it becomes to see what, what, what will that mean to yeah. me? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's been an interesting practice so far. And again, I don't know what to call that. Yeah. So it's like, it's what I do. It's what yeah, I do. Like, this is so, what I do, do. Yeah. Or if like, you know, I feel this is going to sound very evangelical, but if I'm called in a moment to like feel some kind of like connection with even like say Jesus or mm-hmm. with, you know, to take a moment and think about green Tara or to take a moment and think about my mom or something like that. I'll sit and I'll do that for yeah. a short time, whether you want to call that prayer meditation. And so, you know, so far that, that works out well for me. It, it gives my kind of more melancholy predilections, a little more meaning and a little more interpretive value than just yeah. feeling bad and having a bad time. Do you, uh, Going back to like mantras and stuff, do you have like one that you now, like if we were like wrapping up essentially, if people listening, you know, maybe they've never got into any of this shit. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've been into all of this shit. Maybe they feel like we're dumb and they're way fucking higher. Who knows? Yeah. But, like, but like wherever they're at, like, is there a mantra that you live by today that you feel like is like, if you could sum up all of the stuff we've talked about, like this is a, a nugget that you feel yeah. like you could offer. So, you know, like in, in terms of like mantra, I'm not saying like, oh, this is like a, a mantra that I've learned or that I've yeah. made for myself. But it's more of just like, you know, kind of more of like a nugget or like yeah. kind of like a personal truth that mm-hmm. I continue to try to live by is essentially making my own meaning yeah. and finding meaning. Um, because with ha- having experienced so much loss and depression for a long time that ha- that just fucking comes from nowhere and then having experienced so much grief that comes from somewhere, um, you know, it's easy or it's not even easy. I just know that the majority of things that happen have no meaning. Yeah. That it just happens, yeah, right? Because it's like you lose a child. What's the meaning in that? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like that definitely brings you back to this place where it's like, yeah. oh, you know what I mean? Like, did God do that to you? No. <laughs> you know, did yeah. you do that to you? No. no. It's just nature. Yeah. It doesn't have a human meaning because it's biological. So therefore you have to make the meaning behind it. And yeah. you do have to make meaning behind it, or at least I do. For sure. Because I will go insane just knowing that something is meaningless in my life. Because I think that goes back to that feeling of like failure or complacency that yeah. I fear so much. So, I, you know, just to simply make, 
the meaning. Yeah. And that also applies to my art practice and that, you know, in, in the interpretive value of the images I make, I'm, I'm making meaning and yes. someone else will make their own meaning when they see that too. Yeah. You know, that's something I actually really enjoy about making art that it can be in, in the past I saw as annoying, but I highly value now and desire now is knowing like, what does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. You know, what does this image that I made mean to you? Yeah. You know, what is like a, a half decayed wolf skull, with a third eye yeah. that's like very aggressively composed. Yeah. What does that say to you? Is it frightening or is, or is that like a symbol of joy and hope? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or like a women, you know, congregated in a decaying house performing some supernatural ritual that is causing them bodily harm. And then they have a vision of a burning tree. What does that mean to you? you know? <laughs> um, yes. It's, you know, and so that, that's also the power of art. Yes. And that sounded so, I was an art teacher for a short time. So <laughs> now it's coming out really hard where it's like children. That is the power, that of, is art. The power of art. <laughs> Everyone make sure you bring your empty paper towel tubes to class next week so that we can make our sculptures. Um, oh shit. I love but it. it is because, you know, and not just art, like visual art, but, you know, any kind of media. It's the power yeah. of media is that, you know, it, it, it keeps us from being just like the meaninglessness. It keeps us from, yeah. from the day to day and the mundane and it keeps us from things being solely biological. Yes. I mean, it's like, to me, it's kind of like that is human, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if other animals do that, but I know that that's a human thing. Yes. Like I can't see my dog sitting there and having, you know, an inner monologue and, and pretending <laughs> that he's on a spaceship or, yeah. you know what I mean? Or like contemplating the nature of God. I think yeah. like the, the dog is just being he's a dog. Just, yeah. But as a human, being a human means I have to have constant narrative. Yeah. So we've got to have the stories, man. Yeah. I love it. This was, this was a, a great place to wrap up. I loved it so much. Um, if people want to check out your art, and uh, get connected with you, mm -hmm. check out maybe places you're going to be, all that good stuff. Uh, what's the best way to do that? So um, my website, which so badly needs to be updated, is uh, gabo.net. And, and the name that I make uh, art under is G-A-B-E-A-U-X. It's mm -hmm. like a French name. It's probably misspelled. My grandpa wrote it on a family thing. <laughs> Hell um, yeah. Gabo is also my handle on Instagram where I post things like pretty much daily, at least in, in, I'm about that story. Beautiful. Oh, thank yeah. you. The story is where it's at. It is. It I hate to say, a, I need to get back on the posting, yeah, but the um, I, I keep up on that simply because it is a fun way for me to document everything yeah. going on, but it's also the easiest way for me to kind of let everybody else know what I'm working yeah. on. Um, but I also, uh, you know, I, as a, I'm a printmaker primarily, so I actually vend my prints as well as hang them in galleries. So yeah. this fall, I'll be at Strut. I'll be at Little Five Points Halloween Parade. I will be at a Dope Girls event happening close to the holidays. I'll probably oh, yeah. be at most of the Indie Craft Experience holiday markets coming up. You know, I'm always at Argosy and things like that. So yes. I'm active on that vending scene. But I also currently have a piece at ABV Gallery. I'm about to do a takeover of Diesel um, yes. here in October. Um, so I'll be taking over all the art in there. And then I'll also, um, have an illustration in infinite worlds for the yes. next issue. So I got a lot going on, you know, and then of course I'm also making new work for scepter brewing, which you need to go check yeah. out in Oakhurst where I have a big mural that just got released. That's so and cool. Just wrapped up forward. So yeah, I'm all over. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait to see that infinite worlds Thank magazine. You. I'm one, excited. Man. The story is really interesting. Uh, it's got this so abstract cool. quality to it. But it also plays really well with um, scale yeah. and like scale and all, 
very much to the what we were talking about scale of consciousness. Yeah. So I've had some, I've got to this. I'm actually working on it today, but I've got to start doing thumbnails. But I'm like, ooh, I could show like stratifications oh. of like technological consciousness. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I excited for it. It's, it's, pr- it's kind of different content matter than what I used to work with. But yeah, I'm a oh, huge sci-fi fan, it. so I'm excited. You're gonna fucking yeah. crush well, it, man. You. I love it. Thank you very much. Well, awesome. This was great. Let's do it again. And, Absolutely. And just this continue. was fun. Oh this my was gosh. A lot of fun. Yeah, you yeah. were an incredible host. Thank you so much, Ryan. Yeah, this is awesome. At least I can do. I know you probably hear my dogs the whole time in the background. No, but. I love it. It's oh that ambience. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> Anyone that has been to my house that's going to listen to this is going to laugh their ass off because they're like, yeah, that was Baxter barking the entire time. Hell yeah. It's life, man. It is. <laughs> I love it. it. Is. Thank you so Thank much. You this so was badass. I agree. Thank you.